1: Today on the Zabecast, what's the difference between a must win and a can't lose game? Well, you're looking at it. Capitals, Knights, game two. Nonsense season in the NFL. You're going to be seeing a lot of stories that absolutely don't deserve discussion. All of that plus a man, a courtroom, and a penis. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Here we go. Thursday, May 30th, 2018, and I am already panicked. Game two tonight of the Capitals and Vegas Golden Knights. Stanley Cup Final from Las Vegas. And as Yogi Berra once said, it gets late early around here. I know going down two games to nothing would seemingly not be a death sentence. The Capitals have come back from that before. Other teams have come back from that before. The cliche is, well, the series doesn't begin until the road team wins a game. Yeah, not so much. Statistically speaking, it's bad. It's bad to go down 2-0, especially when you go down 2-0 on the road, which seems counterintuitive. Like, boy, it'd be worse to go down 2-0 if you're the home team historically and statistically uh, than it would be to you know go on the road as the lower seed and lose the first two well it's the other way around actually here are the numbers courtesy of who and i don't know why i'm so fascinated by the site who i think it's a matter of don't we all want to feel like we're going we, we want to be tipped off as to what's going to happen here the beauty of sports is that we don't know what's going to happen And what does happen constantly amazes us and astounds us and thrills us and and devastates us. It makes us feel alive. That's why we're sports fans. So why would you want to try to get spoilers? I would say that the website whowins.com is the ultimate sports spoiler site. It's not a guarantee of spoilers, but it does run the numbers. And the numbers look like this up to nothing at home in the NHL Stanley Cup final. And that's only for the NHL. It's only in the Stanley Cup final. The team that goes up 2-0 by winning the first two games at home wins 94% of the time. Not good. That's why tonight's game is a super-duper, absolute, quasi-must-win game. Otherwise... That's it, man. Game over, man. No, not game over. In fact, uh, somebody corrected me yesterday. They said, I think, Zabe, you're right, but you can't call it a must-win because that's only for games in which you'll be eliminated. It's a can't-lose. So tonight's Game 2 is a can't-lose Game 2 for the Capitals in Vegas. And I am... Totally thrilled and pleased and surprised that uh, Tom Wilson has not been suspended by the league. They did not even have a meeting to talk about his hit on Jonathan So after Game 1. I'm shocked, frankly, because I thought that with Wilson's rep and with his uh, penchant for play that they would at least take a look at it, but apparently, and this is where Scott Lynn yesterday did great work of bringing this soundbite to me, and I don't have it handy. I apologize. He had Kevin Weeks on the NHL Network talking about how, hey, it was a good hit. It was right on the borderline, but it was a good hit. It was shoulder to shoulder. It was a little late, but uh, according to Weeks, the hit by Wilson was .75 seconds late. And that the standard, says Kevin Weeks, and he's been in these OPS meetings, he said the standard is point. Eight seconds late is too late for a hit to be considered uh, not a penalty. So (laughs) where they get that number, how they measure it, I have no idea. I guess they could sit there with a stopwatch or, yeah, they could do it with a stopwatch. They could do it frame by frame if you knew the frame rate of the cameras that are showing the hit. I mean, it was a super late hit. It was totally blindside. And anyone could do that to anyone if the referees aren't going to call things. And I think that's what that hit was born of. It was born just a couple minutes after the uh, Reeves hit of Carlson. And that was when Wilson's like, well, fuck this. This is the Wild West. So if we're just going to allow guys to get dumped in front of the net so we can put home you know, second-chance rebounds right in front, cross-checking guys, then, okay, fine. Watch this. Bam! Marcia so dead. But he came back. He wasn't dead, he, you know. And, and Marcia so said, ah, you know what, we'll let the league handle it. Well, league decided to not handle it. The referees have got to call the game, though, as a real hockey game, which penalties, clutching, grabbing, hitting, checking, slew footing, all that stuff, roughing, boarding, you call them. It's a penalty you call it. You don't have to call ticky-tack, but call normal penalties. Power plays and special teams, power plays and penalty kills, are part of hockey. Teams routinely Put a lot of time and emphasis on being good at special teams in hockey. And in game one, there's only two power play opportunities. The average number of power play opportunities for the course of the season is six. Three for both teams. So, very lightly called game in game one. Let's see how they do in game number two. On to the NBA. Finals begin Thursday. The odds are out already. You know that the Warriors are overwhelming favorites as much as 10 to 1 favorites to win the series although I did see real odds that say they were more like 8 to 1 favorites to win the series and the game one line is 12. Still no word as of Wednesday morning on Egudala and or Kevin Love. I would think both guys would be back it's been quite some time. Love is still in the concussion protocol so we shall see. I'd love to see LeBron and the War- and the Cavaliers upset the Warriors. I will be rooting for LeBron lightly. I'm not a fanboy yet, but I I told you LeBron has won me over. And I just have no taste for Golden State. I just I I don't care for them for a variety of reasons. I hope it's a good series even though it doesn't look like it's going to be a good series. It is the fourth straight Warriors Cavaliers best of 7 in the finals. And the first three have been interesting, but the last installment really lost a lot of steam, being a five-game domination. And if this series is five games or, God forbid, four, then we'll really want to bury it once and for all. It's the first time in pro sports history in America that four times in a row we've had the same teams back-to-back-to-back-to-back. And I couldn't even find the last time it was three in a row, back to back to back I know in college, you had Alabama and Clemson, I think, meet three in a row. One, two, three. Uh, But this is the first time in pro sports we've ever had four. What I looked up was, okay, so I was like, Celtics-Lakers, how many times did they play back-to-back? Well, they only played three times in the 80s. That was 84, 85, and 87. And so it was only twice back-to-back it was Lakers-Celtics, and once more in eighty seven. They did, however, either the the Lakers or the Celtics play in the NBA Finals every year for a decade, which was great for a young David Stern and great for the league. 80, 81, 82, 83 to 45, all the way to 89. One of the two, Lakers or Celtics or both, were in the NBA Finals. Took the 1990 series of the Pistons versus the Blazers to break that streak. In Major League Baseball, The Yankees once played the Brooklyn Dodgers four times over a span of seven years back in the 1940s, but they never met four times in a row. The Yankees in the 90s went to the World Series four times in a row, but they went four and two, I'm sorry, they went four times in a row and six times out of eight in the 90s, the Yankees did. They went four and two in that span. They beat the Padres, the Mets, the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, and the Braves twice, twice, so they played a, 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 a smuggersburg of opponents. The Dodgers and Yankees did play back-to-back in 77 and 78, and the winning team, the Yankees, had two different managers, Billy Martin and Bob Lemon. And if you wonder, why would the team that just won the World Series get rid? It's because it's the Yankees and George Steinbrenner and Billy Martin who were feuding, and he was getting fired and getting rehired all the time. And in the NFL, the Cowboys and Bills did run it back, uh, 93-94. So you had that situation as well. But never four in a row. Now here's what I love. Jason Gay for the, uh, well, I I gave you this uh, yesterday with Drew, so I won't bother again. But uh, first Warriors Cavs final since 2017 and only the fourth since 2015. NFL, happy 100. 100 days to kickoff for the NFL season. Didn't it just feel like we uh, went through an entire lifetime without football? Well, the NBA offseason is only 132 days total. The NFL just marked the 108, you know, milepost of, you know, NFL football. 100 days ahead, and there's a, a sign with an arrow pointing, and you're like, oh, a hundred more. You're like the kid in the back seat of the car going, oh. So here's what usually happens about this time of year we get into nonsense season in the NFL. The offseason has pretty much come to a close. There will be mini camps here in early June across the league. The official Mini camp that'll spur a flurry of reporting, but the actual off season, which co- you know constitutes combine, draft, um, mini, ca- you know all the sort of things along the way. Uh, now that's died down, and there is a real lull. This is the real low point uh, for the next at least sixty days until uh, you get training camps open, and then it'll be preseason and, and it'll be a little bit less painful from there. But this sixty day low point in the NFL is the start of nonsense season, where you are going to see more and more nonsensical, ridiculous stories percolate up and get talked about and get traction as if why are we even talking about this? Nonsense season. Like, for example, there's a former Patriot who I had never heard of, who is now no longer on the Patriots who said it's no fun up there i didn't like playing football for the new england patriots and again i don't even remember who this guy is or was never heard of him and of course it created a mini little kerfuffle online with patriot nation firing back well yeah loser we're not going to miss you you loser and 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 other people saying see see this guy's backing up what lane johnson said of the of the of the eagles which is i'd rather have fun And play football and win, then, you know, do it like the Patriots do it. Hold on. New England player. Glad he's gone. Boy, that Google search might turn up a lot of different people. Uh, Let's see. Danny Danny Amendola is one. Uh, (laughs) All right, let me try this again. I should have had this prepped up before I started the podcast. I am sorry. New England. Okay, let me try this. Patriots player says it's no fun. There you go. Cassius Marsh. Huh? I have no idea who that is. Oh yeah, you don't know Cassius Marsh? Uh, yeah, that guy. I've already, I've forgotten. already forgotten his name. I already forgot his name. Former Patriot defensive end says playing there isn't fun. It caused him to think about quitting football. So let's see. Amendola has spouted off Uh, Lane, let me see what Lane Johnson said about the Patriot, Lane Johnson on Patriots. Did he play there or did he just say, uh, uh, here we go. Lane Johnson's criticism of New England confirmed by former Patriot. Uh, some of the most beloved Eagles, including Lane Johnson were seen wearing dog masks. And just like that, Philly had a rallying cry. This is by Jeffrey Knox of inside the eagles.com on fan Shortly after the Super Bowl, Johnson was on, pardon my take, the podcast from Barstool to talk about their victory and how much fun he had. How much fun he had being a part of it. Um, what most people remember is what he said to say about the so-called Patriots' way, and that he'd rather win in Philly and be happy than play for Bill Belichick and win several Super Bowls in New England and be miserable. So he never played there. But he said that's what he'd rather do. Those comments were met with some backlash. Colin Cowherd ripped him. Teddy Bruschi and Willie McGinnis refuted the claims of Lane Johnson. And, you know, everyone got in on the pile. Silly season. Nonsense season. So, yeah, this uh, this guy you've never heard of. Uh, I've already forgotten his name again. What's his name? Cassius Marsh. Cassius Marsh. Marsh. It's going to be a hard one for me to remember. I've already forgotten his name. Furthermore, interesting how some things get into the so-called bloodstream and percolate up and become major talking points on network sports cable shows. And I understand why. They've got to have something to talk about. And anything that's juicy, it doesn't matter how thinly sourced or flimsy in concept it is, they'll talk about it. For example, Sean King, the guy who thinks he's black, but he isn't, and is a quote-unquote activist who has been proven to be a fraud and a troublemaker and a guy who is wildly irresponsible. I mean, just last week he shared a story about a black motorist in Texas who claimed she was raped by a police officer during a DUI stop. Shared the story, whipped up outrage, body cam footage comes out totally exonerating the officer. And Sean King is still out there tweeting you know, new things and, and stirring up new controversy. It's, it's amazing. So anyway, Sean King sent out a tweet that said, BREAKING, all caps, several what's the word, several high-profile or several star at NFL players have told me they are considering sitting out the season until Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed are signed and put on a roster by some team in the NFL. Well, he's the only one that, quote, reported this. And it's not quote, breaking because he's not a news organization. And yet, and yet, what did I see yesterday on ESPN with the uh, you know slug on the bottom of the screen, the lower third, that very thing, report. And it said report. It's not a report. It's one nutball's tweet, which who knows where it came out of. He might have made it up, for God's sakes. Not a single player has said, yeah, I'm thinking about sitting out the season in support of Kaepernick and Reed. I, I'm i going to flush my own career. I'm going to flush my own millions of dollars so I can be with the brotherhood and get them on a on a roster somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, this then you know this percolated up and became a discussion point on ESPN. And I, I didn't have the sound up because I was on the sh- on the air at the time, but I just saw the roundtable of of panelists and they were looking very solemn and serious. You know, this is a this is a serious thing. <laughs> When instead, the panel should have been laughing. I should have looked up at that subhead, and I should have seen the panel absolutely in tears laughing, saying, yeah, right. Yeah, sure, they're going to sit out because of this. This is crazy. And yet, that became a thing yesterday. Nonsense season in the NFL. 100 days to football. Actually, 99 now, because yesterday was 100. So, uh, congratulations. Tick, we are one day closer. We there yet? No. We there yet? No. We there yet? No. I'll tell you when we're there for football. It's going to be a while just yet. Oh, and Dez is still out there. Adrian Peterson is still out there. And, of course, Kaepernick and Reed are still out there. So count on more silliness to come. Hey, who wants to talk about the anthem while we're here? Okay, let me just get this out and let me just say this. Of the many things that the NFL is doing wrong in the handling of the anthem debate and controversy, which rages on almost now three years. Started in 2016, 2017, 2018. Uh, Two years? I'm bad with math. Coming on two years now that the NFL cannot get their hands around this. It'll be the third season, though, by the way. This is going to be the third season in which the anthem is going to be a, a, quote, thing for the NFL. A lot of people were saying... The owners don't care about patriotism. This was never about patriotism. This was always about the bottom line. To that argument, I say yes. 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 You're right. No one disagrees with that. It is a money thing because the NFL is at the end of the day We're running a business here. A business. And it strikes me as well, not odd. I understand why, but It strikes me as a huge mistake that not a single owner has stepped up and laid out this simple fact for everyone to consume, including the players. Some owner, and I guess it would be Jerry, but Jerry already got burned trying to wade into this anthem thing with his ham-fisted attempt to get Papa John Schnatter to get Roger Goodell fired. That didn't go so well for Jerry. But an owner should stand up and say, It's not about patriotism. You're right. It is about money because we are a business. And guess what? This thing is hurting our business. And when it hurts our business, it hurts your business as players. And this is not the road we're going to go down. The NFL should stand up and say, yes, this is hurting us. You may not think that this is hurting us in terms of television ratings, but look around. Every other sport, Right now, the NBA is up about 10% in the playoffs, despite the fact that most of the playoff games this year in the NBA have sucked on ice. They have been a crapstick of mediocrity and missed threes. Ratings are up 10%. NHL, Stanley Cup Finals Game 1, up 10% from last year. These are not massive gains, but guess what? Up is up, down is down. The NFL, down. 9.6% Nine point six percent down eight point three percent last two years. Cumulative almost twenty percent over two years. That's something. And it happened right as Kaepernick began his protest in the late August, early September of 2016. Coincidence? Oh pff, maybe. It this issue is scrubbing speed off of the NFL. There's no question about it. It's painting the league in a bad light, it's painting the players in a bad light. What the players have to understand is, whether they like it or not, a significant chunk of the NFL's customer base does not like protesting during the anthem. They understand that the players are not protesting the anthem. They understand that the players are not protesting the flag, per se, or veterans, per se, or the military, per se, but they don't like it during that time. They want that to be a nice, thoughtful, quiet, moment to stand and listen to our anthem and be thankful for living in America. That's what the anthem is. It's a ceremonial thing that other leagues do without any problem whatsoever from the players. And you can argue about why the NBA is you know, all together on this and the players are not kneeling during NBA anthems. You can talk about where it came from in the NBA with Mahmoud Abdul-Roof and the commissioner David Stern at the time putting down a Iron fist to say this is not going to happen. You can talk about how the NBA lets their players wear "I Can't Breathe" T-shirts and makes other, you know, forms of social justice statements and protests in and around games. Uh, because after the Donald Sterling thing, you had Dwayne Wade and I forget who else um, in solidarity, uh, wearing black, I believe, uh, to some degree. The difference is they were doing this in the NBA. Anywhere and everywhere but for the one minute and 52 seconds of the National Anthem. That was roped off as, okay, now for the Anthem we're all going to stand and we're going to be respectful. That's the difference with the NFL. The NFL has somehow not figured out, well, they they haven't figured out how to handle this, obviously, but they also don't want to be blunt in saying to their players, this is hurting our business. You can say all you want, I don't believe it, you're just making that up, you're afraid of Donald Trump. Here's the facts. Come talk to some of our suite holders. We've lost six of them. Yeah, sure, we still have 80 other suite holders, but we lost six suite holders because as a company, they said, we, we, we don't want to be associated with you guys. You know, that's, those are suites that go for two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 a year. And now we've got to go sell them. And yeah, we've resold three of them, but three of them are still empty, hurting our business. You can say... But that's not, don't don't those, well, fine, screw those businesses then. No, no, we can't screw those businesses. We need those businesses. We need all businesses because we are in a business ourselves. The business of playing football and making money. We're running a business here. Uh, They can't say that. Or at least the owners have been afraid to say that. Or nobody is powerful enough to stand up and say that. I'm sure the owners in their secret, clandestine, billionaires meeting in which they all smoke cigars and light them with $100 bills or rolls $100 bills, they have all said, don't anyone say anything. Don't anybody step out of line. Don't anyone freelance on this. Let's just all huddle up here and, and wait for Roger Goodell, our fearless $43 million a year leader, to tell us what to do. And the other big news yesterday was one Roseanne and one of the most unbelievable and spectacular cases of the bedside Uzi, known as Twitter, going off and pretty much blowing somebody's own head off. She basically murdered her own career with a single tweet. The 140 character, which now 280, 280 character resignation letter, Roseanne, you have now officially retired the trophy. Her tweet uh, comparing uh, former White House Chief of Staff Valerie Jarrett to the offspring of uh, Planet of the Apes and the Muslim Brotherhood was outrageous, uh, disgusting, out of bounds, unacceptable, uh, on every level. And it's interesting that when I said so yesterday on my show in D.C. and when I, you know, talked about how, look, ABC can't stand by that like the 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 show killed you know there was no way sponsors would have been fleeing by the droves this was not a knee-jerk reaction and this was not political correctness run amok this was a absolutely untenable disgusting remark on twitter that killed the show and there was a there's a there's one or two people mainly just one guy uh, who emailed me to say, but what about the double standard? You know, And I'm like, no, I'm not playing that game. Is there a double standard about what uh, some people can say and get away with and others cannot? Of course. Keith Olbermann is now going to be given more of a role at ESPN. He's been hired again to do, uh, I think it's a limited number of sports centers. He's not necessarily a full-time guy, but he's being brought back to ESPN for like the fifth time. And... I read, I read where, and I don't follow him on Twitter, but Keith Olbermann has had some of the most deranged tweets that say, you know, fuck you, Nazi fucker, asshole, scum, this, you know, just unhinged, deranged, you know, anti-Trump rants. And he's been hired by ESPN. Now, granted, that's not necessarily racist, uh, and ESPN is digging its own grave with this move to bring him back, considering they're already trying to shake the notion that they are too liberal. Um, I I don't get it with Keith Keith Olbermann, but forget the double standard for a second. As far as Roseanne goes, you know, in some things, it's not even worth trying to somehow defend in any way, shape, or form. They are completely indefensible. If you want to argue the double standard of, yeah, but what about so-and-so, then you should do that another time. Even though Roseanne did apologize, and that only, I guess, served to cement her fate, maybe if she wanted to try to survive, she could have claimed that her account had been hacked, although even that, I think, would have been a tough reach, a long reach, a tough sell, to say the least even after saying, I apologize, I'm now leaving Twitter, she then came back the very next day and said, don't feel sorry for me, guys. Uh, I don't know anybody that was. I just want to apologize to the hundreds of people and wonderful writers, all liberal, and talented actors who lost their jobs on my show due to my stupid tweet. I will be on Joe Rogan's podcast on Friday. (laughs) So she's turning it into now uh, another, uh, she's not going to get paid, I don't think, by Joe Rogan on his podcast, but she's promoting all of a sudden. Barr also retweeted a false quote that purports to be from Valerie Jarrett's yearbook. In the fake quote, she allegedly proclaimed herself to be an Iranian who sought to help change America to be a more Islamic country. Roseanne later tweeted about her comments by saying, "Quote: I was ambient tweeting, I made a mistake, I wish I hadn't. Again, it's the nightstand Uzi. If that was the case, if she was indeed Ambient tweeting. But it's indefensible, and please don't at me and don't email me saying, but what about the double standard? There is a thoughtful piece on Reason.com by Robbie Soave, S-O-A-V-E, Sove, Soave, Soave, who writes about how, you know, he writes about the double standard. He writes about, well, why did ABC get back in business with Roseanne to begin with? Yes, it was a vile thing to say, though no one has any right to be su- though no one has though no one has any right to be surprised that Barr said it, writes Suave on reason.com. The no- notoriously pro-Trump comedian, who is otherwise something of an ardent leftist has a long history of offensive, nonsensical utterances. She once said that Wall Street bankers should be executed via guillotine. I think I'm kind of behind that sentiment as well. What? What do you say? I'm just kidding. I mean, not. I mean, kind of. well, they, I think some people on Wall Street should have gone to jail for what happened in 2008, but I think one person did. Funny how that is. No execution, I can't go that far. Guillotine, though, I mean, if you're going to be executed... It's quick. She has flirted rightsreason.com with 9 11 trutherism and claimed the Boston Marathon bombing was a false flag operation. She once doxed George Zimmerman's parents, meaning, you know, outed their names and address doxing, D O X X I N G, like documenting. She once doxed George Zimmerman's parents and suggested people should go to their homes unless Zimmerman was arrested for killing Trayvon Martin. So in other words, Roseanne's crazy. She's all over the place. In March 2018, she falsely accused Parkland survivor and activist David Hogg of making a Nazi salute. It was Roseanne herself, of course, who posed as Adolf Hitler for a satirical magazine in 2009 holding a tray of overbaked gingerbread men labeled Burnt Jew Cookies. Good God! Roseanne is crazy, writes Robbie Suave, and her disgusting remark about Jarrett is perfectly in character. No one is allowed to pretend that Roseanne finally went too far or some such nonsense. The Jarrett comment, for which she swiftly apologized and to no avail, is hardly more offensive than any number of things she has said over the years. If people who say very bad things and do not deserve to work in television, then Roseanne should have never been rebooted in the first place. The only thing that's different this time is this. Social media turns up the volume on offensive statements and provides a perfect platform to pillory the perpetrator into submission. The network executives at ABC had to watch the Twitter villagers reaching for their pitchforks in real time and thus feel the pressure to respond. That is true. I will agree with the author on that point. But some things are just too far, and some things are just untenable, and some things you just gotta say, no, uh, we're We can't be in business with you if you're this unhinged. Now, going back to all those other crazy, half-baked, quasi-educated, stupid things that she had said or tweeted, the difference between the two is that she wasn't currently being paid to do a sitcom on ABC. So I think once you are actually taking their money and they are actively in business with you, Then the game changes, and then you can literally blow your brains out with a single tweet of 140 characters or less, or less, which is the case. All right, let me get an email or two in here right quick. Thank you guys for emailing me. I appreciate it. Thoughtful stuff. You can email me, zabe at yahoo.com. You know how to reach me on Twitter and all that other stuff. Appreciate the feedback and the kudos and the attaboys. This one from Casey Birschbach. Zabe, I'm a 20-plus-year listener out of Wisconsin. Appreciate your work. Agree with most of your takes. And I've become a Bandwagon Caps fan because of you. And I even recently told my wife that if I were on my deathbed, I'd think I'd ask to see and talk to Zabe. No homo. Well, that is... What an honor that is. Your deathbed, you would want to see me. Really? And talk to me? I'd feel a lot of pressure. Like, it'd be awkward. Hey, uh... So you're dying. Yeah. At, uh... That sucks. Uh, Do you want me to record the uh, upcoming games? No, actually, it won't matter, actually. you would be dead. Anyway, writes Casey, I know you'll have hockey to talk about in the morning, but check out this story out of Milwaukee. Hell of a hit and made me laugh. The story is of police tackle man who took it upon himself to inspect suspicious package. The bomb squad, I guess, was called in for a suspicious package in downtown Milwaukee. And some guy, some random dude for some reason is like, oh, you know, let me go take a look at that. And he ducks under police lines. He goes to walk right up to the package. And some cop runs in and tackles him, lest it is a bomb and lest he set it off. And yes, the hit that took him out was pretty damn funny. Anyway, thanks for the morning drive entertainment on the hog. And thank you for the casts, loyal listener, Casey Bershbach. This one from Brian Lucas sends me a link to a story headline saved in the Necco time bankrupt candy company sold at federal auction. The bankrupt New England confectionery company primarily known for its chalky sugar wafers, and its Valentine's Day candy conversation hearts received an $18 million winning bid from Ohio-based Spangler Candy Company, maker of Dum Dum lollipops and Circus Peanuts, and at a federal bankruptcy auction in Boston on Wednesday. And while the future of Necco Candy is still uncertain, the deal may keep the company's products, which also include Mary Jane's, the Sky Bar, and candy buttons on the shelves a little... While longer. Now, let me pause to say I love chocolate Neko wafers. The rest of the Neko, the, the, the multi colored, multi quote flavored Neko wafers, bah, suck. Chocolate Neko wafers are a delicacy. They are delicious. They're hard to find, not on most 7 Eleven store shelves, but they're out there. That said, um, I got this response, this email from Brian Lucas under the heading of Candy Lover. Zabe, maybe they're going bankrupt because their candy is the suckiest of suck candy. Might as well throw in bit-o-honey to boot. Okay, so they've been around for 170 years, huh? You ask, how's that possible? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Hey, hey, uh, candy buttons were big back uh, 180 years ago. This is the candy that sits at the bottom of your Halloween bucket until your mom throws it out without asking you, and you're not even sad. The total effing mystery is that someone is buying them. Must be the overfunded pension plan. Parentheses, Bud Fox, Wall Street. See you later, Brian Lucas. Very funny. Thank you for that. And then finally, this one from Jason Heilman. Zabe, I was listening to yesterday's show via podcast on my way into work this morning. The Frontier Airlines story from the Daily Zabe was no surprise. If that airline had the volume of flights of real airlines, there would be so many more amazing stories of what the fuck generated. I'll briefly share one of mine if you're interested. The attached photo is of my boarding pass of the outbound leg of a trip from a few years ago. Yes, the airport code is TTN. Oh, you don't know what TTN is? Why, that would be Trenton, New Jersey. Not Newark a shithole unto itself, not Philadelphia, not even Allentown, Trenton. Oh, and you might also notice the pass is handwritten. Frontier's computers were not working that day. But hey, no biggie, they were only loading 137 onto a 737 to fly to Minneapolis. Why would we need working computers for that? Yes, he sent me a picture of the handwritten Frontier Airlines boarding pass. Well, that's official. It's all written out here. As it turns out, we made it to our destination without incident. But there was more fun on the trip home. My return flight from Minneapolis was on a Saturday evening and traffic at MSP was light. I ducked into Rock Bottom Brewery for a bite and a beverage waiting for my flight to start boarding. I got to my gate at the beginning of the listed boarding time, only to find an empty waiting area and a lone gate agent at the desk. I asked if something had changed with the flight. She said, well, yes, the captain wants to leave early. So everyone has already boarded. Uh, she kept speaking, down. I want to get out of here a touch early, so we're just going to go ahead and get on the plane right now. Everyone but me, of course, had boarded. And in a panic, I was like, I think I just missed my flight. Luckily, they, they, let, they let me on the plane, and we did take off a half an hour early for good old Trenton, New Jersey. Now remember, Zay, we left a half hour early and we arrived a half hour early. Roll up to the gate, everything is great. Right? Wrong. It was great for the captain. He hopped up and peaced out. Goodbye. The passengers, though, had to wait for security to be in place to disembark the plane. This is because Trenton is barely a commercial passenger airport and it was closing in on midnight on a Saturday. They had few security personnel on duty and they were staffing other planes' arrivals. So yes, we made it to our gate 30 minutes ahead of schedule, but we got off that plane at our regularly scheduled time. If you'd like a little extra adventure with your flight, go ahead, give them a try. Fly Frontier. You may get an experience... You may get to experience things in air travel you've never seen before. I settled for a passage on established airlines for my all my air travel since this experience. All the best, Jason Heilman. <clears throat> yes, I wouldn't doubt that that could be the case. I, I looked at Frontier Airlines flying out to Vegas next week for the Stanley Cup. Game five, if necessary. i got to keep saying that, by the way. I'm getting more nervous by the game. Um, Yeah, I looked at Frontier. I'm like, they get some pretty decent flights. They fly out of a decent airport. The price is pretty good. And then I'm like, it's Frontier. Don't even think about it. All right. I've had fun just you and me today. So let's end on a happy note. Accused rapist shows penis in courtroom, to prove his innocence. Why, yes indeed, anyone for... Anyone for penis? Connecticut man on trial for sexual assault was allowed to drop trow and expose his junk to a stunned New Haven jury this week to prove that it does not match his accuser's description. The accuser said that she was raped in 2012 by a stranger whose penis was lighter than the rest of his skin and picked one Desmond James, 26, out of a photo lineup as her attacker. Let me stop right there. Six-year-old case, and this woman is picking a face out of a lineup? Eh. Not sure that's the best way to go about justice, but, you know, this is how the system works sometimes. James's attorney on Wednesday, though, argued that his client's private parts are actually darker than the rest of his African-American brown skin body. And the best way to prove it was to then display his manhood. The judge in the case, one Elpidio Vitale, agreed it was within his Sixth Amendment rights to whip out his junk right there in court. The two sides of the prosecution and the defense argued that photos of his junk, which could have been shown to the jury, might be subject to manipulation or uh, adjustment of the you know, lightness or darkness of the photo and angles and shadows and everything else, that the only way to find true justice was to whip that dick out right there in court. Anyone for penis? So, there it came. The jurors were cold cocked when James walked into the middle of the courtroom, dropped his pants, lifted his shirt, and pulled out his penis. Standing wordlessly for a full ten seconds, according to those who witnessed the spectacle. Shocked, at least one juror looked away, while others in the room tried to suppress grins and snickers at the triple exculpatory evidence. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. God, these writers for the New York Post are so good. James then pulled up his pants, and the defense rested its case. (laughs) No further penis, Your Honor. I, I mean, no further questions, Your Honor. Said the attorney... You saw a penis that is darker than the rest of his skin. For that reason alone, you must acquit, said Attorney Todd Bussert. He noted that the display had brought more people into the courtroom that day. You may have noticed because of my client having to show his penis, the gallery is a little more full today. He also defended giving the courtroom an eyeful, saying that mere photos would have created too many questions. However, Prosecutor Stacy Miranda said the graphic exhibit was far from hard evidence. Arguing that the defendant might have done something with his pubic hair since the assault. Quote, you saw the defendant's penis. What was that? Said Miranda. It's six years later. Do we have any idea what she may have been seeing on that night? What was his manscaping like at the time? Was the light shining on the penis or not? Miranda also argued the case didn't hang.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, that's a good one
1: didn't hang on what was hanging between James's legs alone, claiming that DNA evidence in the victim's rape kit was also consistent with James's genetic profile. Well, after one short day of deliberations, the jury came back and rendered a not guilty verdict. So did the man with his penis out in court, then proudly stride out onto the courthouse steps to say it's a proud day for the American legal system and how he looks forward to his life as a free man. Uh, no. No, he did not, as a matter of fact, because the footnote to the story is, he's already serving 65 years in prison for another rape of a 10-year-old. Good God! I said I'd end on a happy note, and I didn't end on a happy note, because that is disgusting and awful, assuming that he was not wrongly accused in the former case. But in the latter case, no. Uh... As the, ju- as the attorney said, I kid you not, afterwards, talking to the press, I said, if it isn't light, then it isn't right regarding the man's penis. That will do it for today. Thank you for listening. Tell two friends and hit up that Reddit thread talking about how great the Zabecast is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe to all the major podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. And as always, remember, Yoda once said, do or do not do, there is no try. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.